Are you ready to reach the mountaintop of your life? Do you want to turn your dreams into your reality? If that sounds like you, then welcome to the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast. I'm really excited for you to listen to this interview that I did with the one and only Jack Canfield uh, last year, back in 2020. We did this interview live in the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches Network Facebook group, and I'm excited to share it with you here on this podcast. Now, if you're not familiar with Jack Canfield, he is one of the biggest legends in the personal development industry of all time. He has been a professional in this industry for over 50 years, which is absolutely amazing, mind-blowing. Uh, he was featured in the hit movie, The Secret. He wrote the book, The Success Principles, and also is the co-creator, co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Now, in this interview, he talks about something really interesting, a concept that he refers to as the new better. Yes, our world has been turned upside down. Our world has absolutely been turned upside down. Now, this interview was back in the middle of 2020. We were just a couple months into all of this, but everything that he shares here is still so pertinent today because what he is doing is he is looking at the positive and he's looking at it in a way, no matter where you stand on this issue, this episode will benefit you. Because what it talks about is dealing with what is, dealing with what is, and then making the very best of it by just saying, okay, this is what is. This is what's going on. A lot of people have expressed that they don't like what's going on. They don't like this. They don't like that. And I'm not getting into those details here on this episode. But what Jack talks about here is dealing with what is and then making the very best of it for you personally. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you get something great out of it. And most importantly, I hope that this actually inspires you to take some kind of action. And if you enjoy this episode, please share this with somebody who needs it. Oftentimes we talk about sharing it on social media. I'd love it if you share this on social media and say, hey, I listened to this episode and I really enjoyed it. But I find that there is so much more impact if there is one person that you think needs to hear this and you share this with them. You send it to them in a message. You send it to them in a text. And you say, hey, listen to this episode I just heard of Jack Canfield talking about what he calls the new better, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. That would be absolutely awesome if you were to do that. Thank you for listening. I know that you're going to enjoy this episode. Let's jump right into my interview with the one and only Jack Canfield. Mr. Jack Canfield, how are you doing today? Mr. Jake Bountine, I'm doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, uh, for everyone who's watching, I know we have a bunch of, a lot of Jack Canfield fans, a lot of people who that he has had a big impact on. Uh, those who aren't familiar with Jack, I just want to say that Jack Canfield has have, had more impact on my life than I'd say just about anyone other than other than maybe my, my wife, my parents, and my siblings, outside of that, there's no one that's had more impact than, than your work that you have done, um, specifically for me over the last uh, 10 years, you know, diving into your work. I really got into your work maybe um, 
probably about 15 years ago, but 10 years ago, really diving into it. And it has made such a huge impact on my life. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Now, well, let's talk a little bit about the success principles that we're starting out. The success principles, that, that is, I, I always tell people that, that is the, that's the Bible of personal development, that, that anyone who's getting into personal development needs to get into this. I would like to know, you, know, you, you see all these books that are seven this and nine this. You said, forget about it. I'm writing 67 principles. I'd like to know what the, you know, what, what was the thought process into writing that book? What was the process? When did you decide? I, I'd love to hear the story of that book. Well, I remember when Stephen Covey did the seven habits of highly successful people, and then he came out with a book called The Eighth Habit. Mm -hmm. I actually sent him an email and said, you only got about uh, 59 to go. I was just <laughs> messing with him. He's a friend of mine before he died. <laughs> and, um, you know, what, what happened for me, I was sitting in bed one Sunday morning, and my son, who was probably 10 or 11, we were both on our computers. He was playing computer games. I was probably editing something. And he said, Dad, how come we live in a bigger house than all my friends? And I said, well, uh, we've made more money, probably. And he said, well, how come you made more money than their dads and moms? And I said, well, I wrote a lot of books, and I've been really successful in speaking and all that. And, and he said, well, what's your secret? And that was really the beginning of the book. And I, I was in their bed, and I thought, Gee, what is my secret? And so, we were, you know, Chicken Soup for the Soul was really successful at that point. We had probably 100 books published. And I started typing into my, my laptop, you know, what are the principles by which I've been successful? You know, I'll take 100% responsibility, no whining, blaming, complaining. I've got a vision of what I want. I turn it into goals. I use affirmations. I, anyway, I did that. I came up with about 114 things that I thought were my quote unquote secrets of success. Then I thought I'll write a book and I'll give three pages to each one. That'll be a 300 page book. And then when I started writing, it was like more than three pages. I think like, you know, the 100% responsibility is almost 20 pages. And I thought I got to cut this back. So I cut it back down to, to um, you know, the, the, the 67 that are in there now, whatever it is. And, but I literally, what I did also Jake, which was cool I, I wondered at the end of that, when I made that list, was this, was this just me? Would they, would they work? Are these universal principles? So what I did was I interviewed over 75 of the most successful people in North America, generals in the army, people that were top salespeople, entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, movie stars, you know, professional and Olympic athletes, looking to see if they were applying these same principles. And sure enough, they were. And so I illustrated all the principles with their stories of how they'd applied them as well. And then when I did the 10th anniversary edition, I, um, well, what happened was a lot of people would read the book and they'd say, well, that's okay for Bill Gates. He's different. He's got different DNA than me. Or yeah. you know, that's John Gray. He's, he's not from this planet, you know? And then I thought, well, how can I illustrate this with everyday people? You know, when you watch infomercials on television, it's always the plumber or the guy next door, or the, the, you know, the unemployed guy who all of a sudden is trading real estate. So, so it's believable to the average person. So I, it, I, I sent out a questionnaire to a lot of people I knew who'd read the book, taken my seminar and said, you know, what's your story? And, uh, you know, one of the stories that you submitted, it's not in the, the Success Principles book, but it is in the book I'm finishing. I'm now called Living the Success Principles. You know, it was a story about you and, and, and applying the 100% responsibility, ending up with your son. Yes. And so the reality was those stories are what is more in the 10th anniversary revised edition so that people can go, 
oh, wow, regular people applied these principles and they became successful. So they might not have become Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or, you know, Zuckerberg or someone like that. But uh, anyway, that's how the book came into being. Took me 18 months to write it. Um, And like most people, you put things off till the end. So I had an 18 month window to finish it with the contract. And I think I wrote the whole thing mostly. The, The most of the work was done the last six months from around seven at night till sometimes two or three in the morning. But it got done. That's amazing. That's absolutely incredible. Um, one thing that I, I find interesting about it is is that book. What I what I love about that book is because there's so many principles and it's it's uh, it's very complete. You know, it's it's really everything someone could need to be successful. And so for me, different principles have had different impact on me at different times. Where sure. maybe I might go through it one time. And I use it as kind of like a reference where I go back to it and I look through and I go, hey, I want to read that chapter. I want to read that chapter. And it's just, it's just different principles at different times apply to me. And I'm curious, which of those principles are principles that you are applying specifically in your life right now? Uh, I would think uh, 99% of bitch, 100% of breeze is one of them. And uh, been applying that to my exercise routine because yes. there was a while where I was like doing it every once in a while as opposed to every single day, no matter what. Yeah. And so that's something I was reading a book on network marketing called GoPro by a guy named Eric Worre, yeah. who's an expert in that area. And he said the day that his life changed was when he decided to become a professional. He said, what's a professional? A professional is someone who studies something, becomes an expert at it, devotes time to it, and it might take, you know, what was the, the 10,000 hours to become a, an expert, you know, we hear. Yeah. Um, he said that would be about seven years of uh, four to five hours a day. Um, I always say you can go faster with a master. It doesn't have to take 10,000 hours. Um, and my other favorite quote that rhymes with that is every master was once a disaster, which is also true. Yes. You know? And But for me, I think, that just having that no excuses, no exceptions rule is what's been working for me in terms of my diet um, and also in terms of exercise. And so, and also meditation is another thing I teach. I teach this thing called the hour of power and I was kind of doing it maybe four days a week. And I, you know, Saturday, uh, it's Saturday, I'll sleep in. And so now it's like, you know, 20 minutes of meditation, 20 minutes of exercise, 20 minutes or more of reading something inspiring and uplifting uh, and or motivational or, or informational that, you know, is related to your business, but not a novel or something like that. And that's something I'm doing 100% now. And I would say um, another principle is build a success team around you when the COVID-19 thing hit in March. Um, you know, we were blindsided, not blindsided in terms of we kind of saw it coming, but blindsided in terms of the impact it would have on our business in yeah. terms of no no live seminars, no gatherings of more than 10 people, then no gatherings at all. And so we had to pivot and I had to reach out to a lot of people and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? How can we work together? You know, I'll be on your summit if you'll let me do this and I'll be on your podcast or, you know, whatever. And so I think I probably did 40 podcasts the first month, you know, helping my friends out who literally had scheduled seminars. There was one guy, Pete Vargas. I think he had millions of dollars in deposits for things like Tony Robbins seminars and stuff that he couldn't put on. And I, Tony, I think Tony had $4 million in deposits that seminars he couldn't put on. I'm sure. Yeah. 
and he pivoted. You know, he did that training with 22,000 people on, online. It was incredible on some giant, huge 50 foot 360 screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a lot of screens and they yeah. were all uh, technologically put together by a company called Sage, uh, which is a brilliant uh, technology and PR company and event promotion company. But I mean, everyone had to pivot. So yeah. I think, you know, realizing we're not in this alone, that I'm going to help you and you're going to help me. A lot of people would say, you know, wow, why are you helping me? I said, we're all going to help each other or we're not going to get through this, you know? Yes. And so I think that's a big one I've been believing in. And then masterminding, which is part of that, a lot of masterminding. Yeah. Uh, so those are, I think, and then, you know, establishing new goals for the year, you know, like we had to create an online coaching program, which we had, we had about 500 people signed up for breakthrough to success. And we had to go and call them all and say, it's not happening. And we have your money and we don't want to give it back to you. So <laughs> that, that, that's, yes, exactly. So what can we do so we don't have to get it back? Yeah. So we created this, Patty and I, Patty Aubrey, my, my, my partner, we created, um, a, what's called the uh, Reignite Your Life Coaching Club. And we managed to pivot, I'd say 92% of the people over to that, plus enroll a whole bunch of new people. And I've been talking a lot about the new better rather than the new normal. Because if you go to the new normal, it's like going backwards at some, because normal is what we used to experience. I don't think we're ever going to experience that again. Totally. People are never going to be working in an office again. They're going to, you know, companies are saying, why do we have all this office space? People are working at home, it's working real well. Pollution's down. People are spending more time with their families, um, which is also good. People are seemingly very creative. Uh, we're going to see what we saw was when we started this coaching club, people coming in from 17 different countries that never would have gone on a plane and flown into the United States. And so we're now going to do a lot more. I do this author retreat where we have like 20 people. And my wife was always unhappy about them being in our living room for a week anyway. But more importantly, um, you know, with COVID, nobody wants to fly in with people from all over the country. And so now we're doing the whole thing virtual and it takes a lot less time for me. And then finally, I did a talk for Bacardi, which is the rum company. And uh, I was supposed to go to Bermuda, do a talk for 400 managers, come home. That would have taken three days of my life. I gave one talk for one hour, sitting right where I am now. To 4,000 people because they opened it up to everyone in the company because everyone's working from home. So yeah. I reached 10 times as many people, sold a whole ton of books because of that, and got my same fee. So to me, that's the new better, not the new normal. I uh, love that phrase, the new better. Forget yeah. about the new normal. We're going to have the new better. Exactly. One thing that you said... Yeah, you know, we, we spoke, and I'm, I'm so excited about this interview because we, you know, we had the chance to talk just a little over a year ago in, in Portland, but the world is completely different today than it was then. Right. And one thing that you said then that has helped me so much during this time was you talked about the principle of accepting what is instead of trying to fight what is. And there's a lot of people in our industry, and I think every business, that are trying to fight back or they're saying, this is wrong, it shouldn't be done this way. And my perspective has always been, and I, I just choose not to get uh, political or controversial in the public eye. The way that I see things is I say, you know what, whether that's right or wrong, it does not matter. This is what is. So what can we do about it now? And right. it has been huge for me. That has been one of the most helpful things that I could have had right. going into this is accepting what is. Well, as you probably know, one of my heroes is Byron Katie, who wrote a book called mm -hmm. Loving What Is. Mm -hmm. And she said, whenever you fight with reality, reality always wins. Mm 
(laughs) I just love that quote. You know, it's like resisting a train coming down a track. If you're standing in the middle of it, you're going to get squashed. And so, you know, that's called resistance. And whenever you resist, you get, it's a lot of energy to resist, as you know. And that's why, you know, if I were to study a martial art, it would be Aikido because you never resist the energy coming at you. You just grab it and redirect it away from you. And so the concept is for me, you have to deal with what is and change is always what's happening. You know, technological change, the Black Lives Matter movement has changed. The social uh, distancing is a huge change. The environmental warming up is a huge change. You know, the economy is going to be forever changed. Um, You know, we think in California, 60% of the restaurants that close will never open again. Um, The amount of people at the lower end of the economic scale that are being hurt more than the people at the upper end, like you and I, who have businesses and technology where we can continue to do our work, um, that's going to create a huge a radical change in America and Canada. Um, and, and I just read an article last night in Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone does some of the best reporting on what is in terms of yeah. culture. Yeah. And um, I, this guy was talking about, you know, the end of America as we know it. Um, and just everything's shifting. Um, the politics is shifting. The, the divide between people is more pronounced than ever. And it's not going to change uh, anytime soon. I don't care who gets elected next. And I mean, I do care, but I mean, whoever gets elected next, it's not going to change that overnight. Yeah. Uh, people, their political parties become like their religious identity. Yes. That's yeah. never been true before. Uh, and so technology has changed everything. The fact that there, there was something on Bill Maher last night where he talked about um, what they call it, culture, or what is it called, content, whatever. Anyway, it's the idea that someone does something, well, cancel culture, where yes. they can cancel you. Uh, they talked about a Pakistani in, uh, I think it was Michigan, who had a business where an American dream, he had 200 employees uh, making hummus, supplying every restaurant in the state. And it was super successful. And then his tweet came out that his daughter did like 10 years ago when she was 14. They were a little bit racist, a little bit negative. And everybody shut him down. Costco, Trader Joe's, they all stopped taking this product because they didn't want to be associated with something negative. And they basically canceled his whole business because of, and, and, and someone could go online for you or me and post a thousand negative posts that could destroy us. And yeah. this idea that that never existed before. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever had to put up with a million people criticizing you, you know, five or six people, your family, your cousin, your brother, your neighbors, a few of your students, but a million people all at once just trashing you, trashing your website. So what I'm just saying is there's so much change going on and we have to be aware of that. And I think, you know, we always talk about evolution and survival of the fittest. And that's not really true. Uh, both science and sociologists and everyone has always figured out lately, it's survival of the most adaptable. Mm. Those adapted to the environmental changes survived. And those that didn't, like dinosaurs, did not survive. And so basically, you know, we have been adapting fairly well, but our adaptation, what's happening is, and this was another genius talk I heard at TED Talk, that change is happening so rapid in technology that humans cannot keep up with it. Uh, in In the planes, you know, if a gazelle gets a little faster then only the fastest um, lions survive because they've got to catch those gazelles but it also weeds out the slow gazelles gazelles so evolutionary everything's improving but all of a sudden you have this curve of, of technological 
change that human beings have not figured out how to uh, adapt to as fast as possible. And so you see pictures of kids in school all lined up on the floor looking at their cell phones, and that's called recess. Nobody's moving. Kids yes. are spending four hours a day sitting in front of their TV getting fat. That's new. So there's a lot of change that we all have to, especially speakers, authors, and coaches, speak into speak into the needs of people because more and more people like now need to know how, how do I do my work online? How do I do with this technology? How do I make music sound good on, 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 on uh, zoom calls? You know, that's all stuff you have to learn. How do you keep engagement up? How do you get people moving, uh, et cetera. And um, anyway, that's a long answer to your question, but, but change is inevitable and we have to learn to adapt to it and resisting it complaining it goes back to chapter one 100 responsibility complaining blaming and excuse making is a response to get you no new outcome yes yes absolutely uh everything you said there is so applicable to our time right now and if people just say hey i need to accept what is then they can handle it but you brought something up there that i think is really pertinent for you know, especially you know, for all, all speakers, authors, and coaches, whether they are new and aspiring or they're experienced, you know, and that's the idea of the, the criticism that's at a whole different level than it's ever been. And I'm curious, how, how do you personally handle that? How do you personally handle that? Because I know that the, the amount of criticism I get at my level, I can only imagine the amount that you get at your level. So I, I'd love to hear how you handle that. Well, I don't get as much as you think. Um... Well, you're just better than me, and that's why. Well, I do get it. Well, I was going to say, one of the things is you got to do what you do really, 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 really well. Yeah. And so when you do it really, 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 really well, you get good at it. And, uh, you know, I've had 50-some years of experience. I'm 75. Mm-hmm. So what happens is I'm going to be 76 in a couple of weeks, actually. Happy so, birthday. Yeah, thank you. But I just was aware of that. Like, oh, my God, that's past 75. It's like when you pass 50, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, um, what happens is I think do what you do so well. And this is a quote from, from Walt Disney. Do what you do so well that when other people see you do it, they want to bring their friends to show them to see you do it as well and come back and give themselves. So mm-hmm. literally make good on your promise of excellence. And I'm watching right now uh, The Last Dance, which is a series about the last years of the Chicago Bulls. Yes. And you see the commitment to excellence that started with Michael Jordan. Yes. And he enrolled all these people. And then along came Phil Jackson. And I mean, it's extraordinary what they were able to accomplish because of that commitment to success. Yes. To excellence. So, but I do, I still get, I still get uh, criticisms. And what I do when they're, when they come to my website, I respond to them. In other words, I take the time to answer the person and tell them what I was thinking or I'm apologizing. I remember I, I, I did a talk in Florida years ago, and this woman came. I think I, I swore sometime in the first hour and a half. I, must, I don't know what I said, bitch or something. I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And this woman left. And then she wrote my staff and said, you know, um, I had to leave. I didn't get my money back. I, my money's worth and blah, blah, blah. And what I did was I wrote her a nice letter. I said, I'm sorry. I, it's, it, I don't normally swear from stage. Um, apologize. I know I don't want to let that stand in the way of you getting value from my work. I'm enclosing a copy of my book. I'm giving you a free online course. And I hope you'll take advantage of it and get the value you didn't get that day. And here's your refund. And she mm. wrote back the nicest letter saying, now I see why you're so famous and popular. Mm. And so I think now 
you know, if you're getting a million different people telling you you're the Antichrist, I don't know that you can <laughs> respond to all that. But I think taking the time to do something for either you post for, for most people or you individually do, I think that's been part of why I have the reputation I have as well. And there are some people that because of something you said, or you look like their uncle who beat them up when they were six years old, you're never going to please them. And like you, I stay away from making political statements because, you know, 40% of the country backs our current president. So if I were to bash the current president, that, that risks 40% of my audience going away. Being um, alienated. Yeah. Yeah. I might say something on my private Facebook page about who I'm going to vote for, you know, a week before the election, but um, I don't think that belongs in my, you know, content when I'm teaching people success principles. Yeah. Well, I think for everyone, they just have to make a choice on what their, what their mission is, you know, what their mission is. And this is one thing I tell my clients, they say, well, can I talk about this? Or can I talk about that? And I say, well, that depends on what the outcome is you want. Because if your outcome is to spread this particular message, then of course, go and share it. But if the outcome that you're looking for is to reach as many people as possible with this message, then you just have to be aware of what's going to happen. And like you talk about saying, taking 100% responsibility for, you know, another thing you say often is, is what are you pretending not to know? You know, and what, what is it that you're pretending not to know? And so you can't go in and say something and then have the backlash of it and then be upset about it because right. you should have known that right. that would happen beforehand. And that's right. my thought on it. Well, you know, Vishen Luckyani, who runs Mind Valley, are you familiar with him? Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he took a stand during the last election and he said he didn't think Trump was the guy to, to vote for. And he lost about a third of his mailing list. People just opted out. Mm. And uh, what happened, though, it built back very quickly. Mm. Uh, and he said, I actually got the people that I wanted to be talking to. Yes. And so you can take that risk. If you're, like, so if you're saying this is the stand I'm taking or I'm taking a stand for this. And if you lose people that are not for that stand or against that stand, you're going to lose people. But also by being authentic and, and, and real, which everyone says that's what people want today. They want yes. real, authentic people. Then you may attract more of the people that are like you who are going to respond to your message than the people who were there before. So, I mean, it's a risk you take. I yes. think it should be well thought out. Uh, and then you take a stand and you live with the consequences. Yeah. Uh, one thing you're talking about there is attracting people. And that gets me thinking about, about the law of attraction. And that's something you've wrote so much about, spoke so much about. How does one apply the law of attraction today in our current, you know, our current environment of, of just what's going on in the world today? How can we use the law of attraction today? Well, I always, it's always a funny phrase. How can we use the law of attraction? It's like, well, I guess you could say, how can we use the law of gravity? You can create mm things like like slides you use the law of gravity for fun i guess but yes. the law of, the, the law of attraction is working whether you think you're using it or not and yes. so the real question is uh how is it how is it applying into your life right now and mm -hmm. i think the same way it always did which is whatever you're thinking about visualizing affirming and feeling strongly about you're going to attract more of it into your life i know for me when i started thinking i need to get more online gigs as it were i need to get more i need to be on people's podcasts i need to be promoting my book that just came out in march you know mm -hmm. whatever i started getting invitations from everybody and everyone whose podcast i was on said that was really a great podcast can i introduce you to my friend john lee dumas who does you know entrepreneur on fire and i go yeah 
let's do it, you know? And then he says, wow, that was great. Can I introduce you to Casanova? And I go, great, you know? So everyone's introducing me to everyone else. And um, it, it really got to the point about a week ago, I, I think I told you before we came on air that I, I got the groundhog syndrome Groundhog Day syndrome, you know, it's like, God, get up, take a shower, sit in front of my computer, go eat my dinner, watch an hour of TV, go to bed. You know, it's like, it yeah. was like, like it was getting tired of it. But the, the point was, it's what I needed to survive, you know, to promote my books, to enroll people in my seminars, to let people know I still exist, to keep the brand out there, to build our, our mailing list by, you know, saying, go to jackinfo.com, whatever. And uh, it just, I literally got to the point where my secretary was well, my assistant, you don't say secretary anymore. My assistant said, Jack, uh, you've got about 40 invitations here. We need to be scheduling them. You know, and I was kind of like, eh, just slow down a little bit, you know, six or seven a day is a little much. So, but, but, you know, but I'm happy to do you. We're, we're old friends. And I love you. But the point being that, um, uh, it love attraction is working, you know, and, um, I wanted, good food and then this third person showed up to a friend of ours that got you know sheltered in place when we did and she's been cooking for us and washing the dishes going out and buying the food in exchange for not having to pay rent anywhere and um so for me i would just say to everybody do the things we know to do which is make sure you have a clear vision of what you want for starters this is something very interesting um i saw an interview with a nurse who um was working with cancer patients. And what she said was, it was a cancer support group. She said, the people, I would ask them, what is your goal that you're gonna do? What are you gonna do after you get, if you get into remission? What's your vision of your life after cancer? And she said, if they told me a clear, specific, compelling vision for what they wanted to do when they were healthy again, they lived. Mm. And if they didn't, like if they said, well, I might spend some time with my grandkids, I don't know. Most of those did not survive. And so what she was saying, and I think it's true, is if you don't have a positive image of your future, a positive expectation of what it's going to look like, as opposed to what a lot of people did in the beginning, I think people are coming out of it, which was to go, oh, my God, my business is going to go out of, you know, I'm, not, I'm losing all my money. What if I don't get this payroll protection money? What if I can't pivot people here? Uh, you know, what if my mom gets COVID and dies? And it was all this negative imaging of the potential future which we call worrying, but it's really negative goal setting with visual support. Mm -hmm. uh, what you want to do is create the opposite. And that takes you out of your amygdala, which is where fear lives, up into your prefrontal cortex, which is where creativity and rational thinking lives. And so the law of attraction, then you're using your affirmations, affirming what's going to happen. You're visualizing it as if it already did. And then it works like it always did. Wow, that's amazing. What, what, what can someone do specifically if they're, if they're around, if they're consuming a lot of negativity and having a hard time right now, which I know a lot of people started at the beginning of this really doing their best to be positive, but I'm, I'm sensing with all the people that I talk to, I'm sensing that there's a general feeling right now where people are starting to get tired. They're yeah. starting to get worn out and their, let's call it their positivity muscles are starting to get fatigued. What would you say to someone like that to, to help them get back into that positive, to choose to have that focus? I think right now it's a, you have to have a combination of stoicism and positivity. You know, the Stoics basically said, you know, we can handle whatever shows up. We can handle this. We're stoic. We're, we're, 
you know, we're, we're dealing with what is. I, I watched the uh, Tony Robbins and I were on the same summit one day, and I watched mm-hmm. his presentation. And he said, you have to be a realist as well as a positivist. And so many people are just, well, you know, pie in the sky, you know, woo-woo, it's all going to work out kind of thing. I don't think that works. You have to face what is. If you're in a boat and this water's coming in, you have to bail. Boat. You have to yeah. bail water out of the boat, you know. And while you're doing that, you can be thinking about which direction you want to go. Where's the wind coming? Where's the sun coming up? You know, whatever. But yeah. you got to bail. And I think a lot of people either went into fight, flight, or freeze when, when COVID hit, you know, in mid-March. And a lot of people just kind of didn't do anything. You know, one of my friends said, you're either going to come out of this as a hunk, a chunk, or a drunk. You know, everyone's you're either going to be exercising every day because there's nothing else to do, or you're going to be eating too much, or you're going to be drinking too much, which I know yes. some people have been doing that. But yes. the idea is you have to confront what is always and then figure out what is the outcome you want. And then, yes. and then believe it's possible. That's the other thing that's really critical for people right now. You know, we are getting predictions, some just released in some government reports that were supposed to be secret, but everything gets leaked these days, that it could be two years before we're allowed to go do what we did again. Now, governors will probably open up things and close things and open things and close things. We'll see what happens. Everybody wants to get the economy working again. But I think the economy can work and still be very, very conscious about social distancing, wearing masks, cleaning our hands, you know, providing protective, uh, you know, clothing, et cetera, but more so than we've been. Um, and so we can do things like my wife does two Pilates classes every week by Zoom. You know, her Pilates teacher's in the Pilates studio and she's in her room. She's doing yoga classes that way. She's doing painting classes that way because she used to go to painting. And so, you know, we're all adjusting. And I think you have to just say, okay, it's going to take a while and we can make this work. And here's some possible way. Look around. You know, there are a lot of online courses right now. I mean, I, my inbox is full every day of people that are teaching how to pivot, how to make money at home, home businesses, network marketing companies that are saying you can do business from home. Uh, there are people teaching classes on how to invest in real estate during the pandemic, you know. So there are a lot of people that have, are teachers that are now teaching you how to do what we used to do live virtually. And yes. so there's no lack of information. I mean, my biggest upset if if I have one is that I don't have 40 hours a day to look at all the different courses and mm-hmm. podcasts and and things that are coming in my inbox about longevity about you know keeping your energy up about staying happy about you know making more money there's there's no lack of of, of tools available if one will be a student and that's the, that's the issue I was just on a podcast for a guy in Australia who teaches people how to do a lot of what you teach people how to do and um and my job was to just kind of do the positive mindset part. Mm-hmm. And then he talked about what his courses are, about teaching people how to make a living online as an author, coach, speaker, mm-hmm. and, and a consultant. And then also he had another guy on how to trade, um, you know, stocks and bonds and currency, uh, which you can do online. So the reality is that you just have to make a commitment that I'm going to adapt I'm going to find out what's available. I'm going to pick one and I'm going to go deep with it and I'm going to do it. Yeah. One thing you talked about earlier that I think if there's one thing for the people watching this right now, most important, if I could get through to, to every, you know, all 8,000 people of this group, it's that idea that you brought up earlier of going pro, 
of taking this idea of, hey, I'm, I'm kind of going into the personal development business. This is something that I am kind of doing. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a side gig, whatever they want to call it. I don't see people really succeeding unless they make that decision in their mind that they're going to go pro. They're going to become a professional. Yeah. What do you say to someone to, to help them to make that decision to say, I want to go pro. I want to do this. I want to actually go pro. I'd say, listen to Jake Ballantyne. No, <laughs> I would. I would. Well, there you no, go. I'd I love say, it. I'd say, look, you know, if you're a doctor, you, you get four years of college where you got to study anatomy and physiology and biochemistry just to get into medical school. Then you get four years of medical school. And then you have to do a residency and an internship. And then you get to get licensed. And so, you know, it's about eight to 12 years of your life to become a doctor. Now, once you do that, if you decide to do it in a way that makes money, you can get very rich. If you decide to do it in a way that makes a difference, there's all these frontline people on the hospitals that are risking their lives every day for the people that aren't wearing their masks, et cetera. What happens is that, uh, you know, it takes a while to become a pro, an expert. And so, you know, we talk about becoming an expert in personal development and people want to watch 10 TED Talks and three Tony Robbins videos and think they're, they're now an expert in human development. That's not true. Um, I have been doing this since my early 20s, where I studied with W. Clement Stone. Took, I, one year, I took 37 weekend workshops where I was learning. Then I, I assisted in a lot of trainings where I was taking notes and handing out tissues and you know water and getting people back from breaks and so forth. I read, well, you see behind me, I've read over 3,000 books on different topics. Now, I'm not saying everyone has to do what I've done, but the point is, you know, if you're not studying for a couple hours a day and honing your speech, honing your, what are the exercises you can do with people that really matter, especially now on Zoom, we can divide people into two as long as you don't have over 200 people in a Zoom call. We can put them in breakout groups just like we did in, in hotels. And we're getting some feedback that people actually like it better because there's not all that noise around them. There's no distractions. It's one-on-one -on -one with someone right there. So I think that it's a matter of studying it. So you got to, there's a lot of things you have to master and mastery is not something you do overnight, but you have to master enrollment. You have to master how you process people when they're stuck. You have to master presentation with humor, with slides, with stories. You have to become a good storyteller. You have to know how to outline something so it takes people through an arc of learning. You have to know how to do the call to action, either an activity that's going to make their life better or an activity that's going to make them buy something or enroll in something. You have to know how to provide follow-up. You have to know when people get stuck, what do you do? How do you help people let go of their limiting beliefs? You know, I've been studying that for years and every year there's some new technique that's a little better than what I knew before. You know, first there was tapping. Now there's essential oils that can help you do it faster. So the whole point is that you've got to learn a lot how to do social media. It's different on LinkedIn than it is on Instagram. It's two different audiences. You know, yeah. how do you do a Facebook post? How do you record it and then post it? How do you record it live and post it? You know, so, but if you learn a little bit every day, a couple hours a day, you take some courses, how to do a podcast, you know, whatever, at the end of a year or two, you're going to be amazing. You know, and you, so you have to think about you're creating a new career and it's not just, oh, I'm just going to get on and, and, and say some things I know or stay one book ahead of my audience. I mean, you could do that, I guess, and provide value if you're providing things that they don't know. Um, I think the challenge today is there's a lot of content online, a lot. 
Yeah. The trick is, can you help people implement that content? And I think that's where the rubber meets the road with coaches and with consultants and mastermind groups and mentors and all that kind of stuff. Totally. You know, taking that, you know, it, it doesn't matter how much you know if you're not doing it. You know, who, who cares if you know that much, if you haven't, if you haven't Im, Im implemented it. And like you talked about there, I think that's why all the practices and all the uh, different types of exercises that you can do in these types of events, you know, really make all the difference in the world. Um, you, you talked about W. Clement Stone. How did you get connected with him at the, at the beginning? At the very beginning, how did you get connected with him? Well, I was working at a thing called a job course center, which was a place where kids who had dropped out of high school yes. uh, and then realized they, they, they wanted to get an education but couldn't get back in high school. They were too yeah. old. They got job skills uh, and training and got a GED mm -hmm. and so forth. And I was working there. And uh, one of the guys who was mm -hmm. also on the staff was talking about something called achievement motivation. How do you motivate people to achieve more? And he had studied with this guy at Harvard called David McClellan, who was the world's expert on achievement motivation. However, there was a guy in Chicago named W. Clement Stone, who was a self-made millionaire worth $600 million, who had a foundation which had a program called the Achievement Motivation Program. So I heard about that, and I went in and took this weekend workshop with them. And as I was there to take the workshop, this Job Corps Center, which was in a Democratic congressman district, it was the year that Nixon was elected president. He closed down everything that was governmentally supported like that in a Democratic congressman district, opened it up in a Republican congressman's district. It was kind of rewarding the, you know, the people who were Republicans. And so I lost my job. Mm -hmm. And I knew that was happening right when I went to take that seminar. They were, they were simultaneous. And when they learned that I was someone who taught in the inner city high schools, I was someone who worked with African-American and Native American and Hispanic kids, they offered me a job in their foundation to teach this, what they called the achievement motivation, what I call success principles, to inner city teachers. And so that's how I got my job there at the Stone Foundation. I only met him in person a couple of times. Um, and he was a force of nature. He was, he was so positive. There was like a, a, a like, like, you know, if you could see these animated films where there's energy coming off of people. Yeah. You know, he was like that. And um, so I, I just, I, I, I admired him a lot. I didn't agree with everything he uh, believed, but I believe 95% of it. Mm -hmm. And he taught me, the biggest thing he taught me was that, that money is not a four-letter word. Because mm -hmm. I had grown up in the 60s. I was kind of a countercultural hippie. And, um, you know, my dad was a union person and didn't like corporations. And yeah. So I had to learn that money wasn't evil, that money, you know, he told me, he said, money is not the root of all evil. It's the root of all philanthropy. You can do a lot of good with money. And That's so I thought, well, I like that phrase. I'm going to, I'm going to remember that. And so um, I learned to um, pursue wealth uh, without hurting anybody, without, you know, being evil. And um, that's been part of the education of my life. And he taught me to think positive, to believe anything's possible, to use affirmations, to visualize, to set specific goals, to read, read biographies of famous people so you can be inspired to believe it's possible and um, made a huge difference in my life. Wow. Yeah. You're talking about him being just this huge force of positivity. I don't know. Sometime in the last year, I started looking up old YouTube videos to try to see what was available of him speaking and, and, he just seemed like quite a character, quite was, a character with was, his mustache he had and just yeah. very, you know, very boisterous. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun listening to him. Well, his name was William Clement Stone. 
And he said, if I was Bill Stone, it's a name like Bob Jones. No one's ever going to remember me. So it was W. Clement Stone, because Clement's an unusual name. He always wore a bow tie, which was unusual. Uh Wore this little mustache, looked like a used car salesman. Uh Uh, But he wanted to be unique. He wanted to be rememberable, you know, memorable. So basically, he did all of that. I remember watching him do a talk once, and he had a book on the, 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 the podium, and he slid it off. And it hit the floor, bang, like that. And then he kept talking. And then he said, I bet a lot of you are wondering, when, I'm, when am I going to pick the book up? And he said, you're all distracted right now. See how easy it is to distract you? See how easy it is to get distracted in life? Then he did a whole thing about how not to get distracted in life. So he was always a very, very creative teacher. I learned a lot from him. Wow, that's brilliant. Um, what I would love to do right now, for everyone who's watching right now, I'd love to answer some of your questions. So if you have a question for Jack, pop it into the comments right now. And while you're pulling those up, I'd love to ask you to tell us a little bit about the Success Principles Workshop or Workbook, the Success Principles Workbook. Yeah, this is a new book that came out during the pandemic, right in March, the Success Principles Workbook. It's just 17 principles of the 67 there are. And these are the, what I would call the core. Like if you're a football player, you got to know blocking, tackling, catch a pass, throw a pass, yeah. whatever. So these are the core principles of 100% responsibility, having a vision, creating goals for that, affirmations, visualization, believing it's possible, developing a mastermind group, getting rid of and replacing your negative and limiting beliefs and so on. And um, so anyway... What happens is that I wanted to do a book that was easier to use. The first book, you know, 67 Principles. A lot of people kind of overwhelm them. And so I said, what are the basics? And I want to put them in a book. So the book will be like a coach. So it's not just a book you read. It's a book you do. And I almost called it Don't Read This Book. And it was was going to say, do this book. But the point being that I wanted people to have the exercises that we use in our trainings, the worksheets, the uh, processes, the questions to answer so that they would end up getting the same aha experiences that people do when they answer those questions in a training. And it worked. So we got 30 people who'd never been in a seminar with me, never read the success principles, gave them a copy of the manuscript, had them go through it for a couple of months, and they all transformed their lives made more money, got out of bad relationships, started businesses, um, you know, made some great real estate investments, lost weight, etc. So it's really the best companion book to the other book, The Success Principles. For those of you who haven't seen that, I'll just hold it up. Visuals are always useful. That's the original book. It's the 10th anniversary edition. And the two together are incredible. So this book comes out, Jake, on uh, March 1st, right when the pandemic was hitting. And it sold out in two days on Amazon. The 20,000 copies went out the door and then they wouldn't restock it. And we said, why aren't you restocking the books? Because we got a pandemic. People need their diapers. They need their food. Mm-hmm. So for about a month, I'm promoting this book and there are no books to get. Um, and so then we came back. Finally, they put it back up again. And we've, we've been through three printings of the book. But it's a powerful, powerful book. Uh, people can go to Amazon.com, read about it, see the five-star reviews and get a copy. And most importantly, work through it. You, if you put this book on a shelf and don't do it, you're going to have shelf esteem, which is not what you want. You want to have self-esteem, which is a result of being able to achieve all of your goals. Yes. Uh, I want to just take something uh, to talk to every single person who's watching this now and going to be watching this later. I want to thank Jack for being a part of this. So if you want to thank Jack for being a part of this as well, go and buy that book 
right now. That's the best way that you can show that your appreciation and it's going to help you more than anything else you could do. So go over there right now, go and get it and uh, just, just go ahead and do that right away. I think that's going to be the best thing that you can do for you. And also we can show Jack our appreciation. Uh, let's get to a couple of these questions. What is an affirmation that has helped you the most reach your goals? I would say the affirmations that I do are very specific to to every specific goal. So I'm so happy and grateful that I'm now earning a million dollars a year from my book royalties. I'm so happy and grateful that I'm now speaking to audiences of a thousand or more people. So I like this. I'm so happy and grateful is the beginning that not, that I now that I am now. Mm-hmm. And so anything you put after I am, your subconscious takes as a, a command. I'm so happy and grateful that I'm celebrating my perfect body weight of 195 pounds. I'm so happy and grateful that I'm uh, now, you know, I did one. I'm so happy and grateful that I'm now appearing on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. You know, things like it, which all came true. I mean, everything I just said came true. So those are affirmations that are very specific. If you want a more general affirmation, um, I'm so happy and grateful that everything I touch turns to gold. I'm so happy and grateful that I have everything I need to do anything I want. So I call them results affirmations, which are specific goals that are measurable in time and space, how much by when. And then I have process or just, you know, general mindset affirmations, you know, uh, you know I'm smart enough and bright enough and well-connected enough to bring about any result I want, things like that. Mm, love that. I love that. I'm so happy and grateful. Uh, Ada, let's see, that last question was from River. Ada asks, if you were starting today at your age, what are the first three things you would do? I would write a book. I think a book is critical for credibility in today's world, even though so much stuff is online. I would definitely get a social media presence up and running, probably by doing uh, video uh, blogs, you know, what do you call them? Just video releases onto YouTube and mm-hmm. have a video going out to people. Uh, then I would transcribe that. So it's now a, a written blog that you can put on your website and have other people post. And I would do as many things like this. In other words, get out there. You know, it takes about six impressions for someone to discover who you are, remember your name. And so as many places as you can go and going back to the same places, you know, being on yours now a year later, et cetera. You know, if we do it again next year, more and more people, I remember Jack, he was good, you know. And so when they get something that I'm going to be, you know, speaking in Portland again, they go, oh, yeah, I think I want to go see him in person. Uh, I think I would do that as well. Um, Those would be probably the three things I would do. And then I would develop some kind of online course that doesn't require me to show up live that they can download, you know, click to buy so that you have uh, people learning from you um, while you're sleeping. And so you've got it. You've got to have something. And I would over time develop three tier of pricing, something that's inexpensive, like maybe $39. Then maybe something that's a little more like 199 than something maybe it's, you know, 500 to five, 5,000, depending on what you're offering. Those would be the main things, I think. And I would say one last thing. I would do some live coaching only because I find that I'm sharper talking about my work after I've coached some people because I've just, I'm I'm freshly now got an example. I know where people get stuck better. Um, I'm clear what's coming up over and over, the patterns that people are are dealing with. And um, it just gives you more credibility juice, if you will, because just yesterday I had a client who, you know, opposed yes. to, you know, something I wrote two years ago. 
Yes, absolutely. Love that. Fantastic. Uh, Julie says, I'd love, no, love to know how to serve and create human connection with clients virtually. What has worked with you? What has worked for you for creating that connection? I think number one depends on the side of the group, size of the group. If the group is small enough, like you're coaching 20 people, you can have all 20 pictures in the frame by just going to, you know, the, what your viewer and deciding you want a gallery view rather than another kind of view. Uh, if you're working with more than that, I, I like Zoom. It's the easiest technology to work with. Um, they still have to get to the place where we can have a thousand people divide into pairs. They haven't worked on that yet. Yeah. But for, for groups under 200, uh, you can divide people into pairs and you just random, randomly divide them. So one of the things I teach, I do a train the trainer course where I train people to do live trainings. And now we're doing uh, units on virtual trainings, uh, you know, adding like, how do you do the same thing we were doing in live rooms? And so um, when you divide people into groups, in small groups, they're having the same experience. And what we do in our training is we – the first part we call creating a safe space. People need to know, <clears throat> excuse me, that it's safe to talk about things. That one on one, they can kind of risk it. You know, it's one thing to share my secret with you. It's another thing to share it in front of 150 people. Yes. But if I share it with one person, I survive, and I share something personal with another person, I survive. And I share something personal with another person, and nothing bad happens. I'm building up my comfort zone of talking to the whole group and becoming vulnerable and transparent and authentic, which is what we need to be successful. So if I was doing a live training, I might do a whole morning of those kind of activities. And we did a lot of that when we started our online coaching program. But our first two hours, the first 90 minutes were all of that kind of pairs, dividing people in pairs, and then dividing people into small groups, four, five, six, and giving everyone a topic to speak for a minute, telling people when to switch. Um, engagement, where you get people – if I would say, I want everyone to stand up right now, and I would move my screen, and I would say, we're all just going to do this thing called bounce and shake. It's a Qigong exercise where we just bounce up and down like this. It's going to get the blood moving. Um, I've not done this yet, but one of my friends did this. He had like, uh, I think it was 60 people, put all their pictures on a screen, and said, I want you just to stare in the eyes of all the people and send love. And then he said, now I'm going to pick you, just kind of one person, and you're going to send love to that person for two minutes. And you're looking into the eyes of someone, just like you're sitting in front of them live in a training. They're sending you love and you're sending them love. It was very powerful. Um, so I think there's a lot of things like that you can do. Um, obviously, chats are important where people chat and you respond or have some, some of your staff responding or teach people how to respond to each other in the chats. A lot of people don't know. You got, you got to show them how to do that. You know, click on the name you want and type in the, the hit return, you know. Yeah. Uh, Q&A is important. Uh, so all those things, I think, help establish more of a relationship. And then bringing one person up on stage, if you will, just bringing them, you know, I'm going to unmute Mary. And Mary, tell us what blah, 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 you know, what you're thinking or your response to that exercise or what's your challenge or question. So now we actually see Mary, and it's like being in a room where she's standing up with a microphone. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I have found that you can do more things then we, th I, I think the limitation of creating connection is actually just in our mind where we think, because yeah. everything you just shared is exactly what you would do live in person. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just using the technology to do it. Of course, it'll always feel different. I'd, I'd love to give everyone, everyone who's watching, I'd love to give everyone a hug right now. I mean, that, that would feel great. I would love to experience that. And you do that at your seminars where you have the hug right. exercise and all that. But, you know, outside of the actual physical contact, we can do so much with technology. It's amazing. You can have people sing along. 
you know, you play a song that everyone knows. I was just in a hot tub last night. We had on a John, uh, not, uh, James Taylor Sonos, you know, mm. uh, Pandora. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, uh, Hey Jude comes on. And mm. it's a live performance. You're all these people in the audience saying, Hey Jude, da, 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 na, 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 you know. And so you can do that in a, in a, in a, in a workshop, you know. We start some of our online coaching with everyone standing up and dancing. You know, so it's like, you know, get up and dance. And then we have contests, uh, post like a TikTok dance. And whoever gets the most votes is going to win, you know, a free hour with Jack for consulting. So oh, that's amazing. To get engagement. We, we do a lot of prizes in our coaching club. There's a lot of people who just really look up to you at a, at a level to where they see you as someone that they want to emulate, that they want to be able to have the kind of impact that you, you have had. What's your advice for someone who has been studying you, has been following you and says, you know, I want to have the impact that Jack has had is looking up to you. What's that kind of advice that you have for them? And we'll have that be the last call or last question for the day. Something st- that, um, what was his name? The guy who started as Werner Erhard said many, many, many years ago. He said, everybody has a sphere of influence. Your sphere of influence might be your 10 closest friends. That's all you can influence. Now, today with social media, you've got your Facebook group, your Twitter followers, your Instagram followers, if you do have that. It's giving you a bigger sphere of influence. Now, you can build that sphere of influence over time by, like, if I just did this and said, hey, if you want to be part of my, you know, identify and release your limiting beliefs call, go to jackcanfield.com. Let's say 100 people did that or 1,000 people did that. That just built that list. My sphere of influence has expanded. And so what you want to be doing is constantly building your sphere of influence by being out there in the world, being known to a very small group. Look, I started my career as a teacher trainer. I was a teacher. My sphere of influence was five classes of history students a day. Then I went and worked at the Job Corps. My sphere of influence was a couple hundred kids who were going through that program. Then I got hired by W. Clement Stone. He had me teaching weekend workshops, about 30 a week, a a year. My sphere of influence was about 20 times 30, so about 600 people. And during the week, he'd send me out and do a school. So I'd do a three o'clock to six o'clock after school thing, maybe 300 people in the school. My sphere of influence got bigger and bigger and bigger. Some people remembered who I was. Some people wouldn't remember if you paid them $1,000. Then I wrote a book. 400,000 people read my first book that expanded my sphere of influence. You know, so I would say, you know, Tony Robbins has a great quote. He says, success leaves clues. Success leaves clues. My career has left a trail. One can study that. I started out giving talks. They weren't recorded. Today we record them. Today we can go online and reach millions of people. Uh, It's recorded. 10,000 people could watch the, 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 the recording of this over the next 10 months or 10 years from now, they can find it on YouTube, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, so that influence is growing and growing and growing. I've written probably 40 books and edited over 200 books, but it's taken me since the time I was 29 when I wrote my first book to now I'm 75. So part of it is longevity, you know. Now, there are people that come on the scene and really go fast. Yes. If your name is uh, Jared Robbins, you got your dad's coattails you can follow on, you know? If you're Lisa Nichols, you could work with a number of people like myself. She wrote a book called Chicken Soup for the African-American Soul that helped establish her out there. She started doing a lot of things, then she got on some TV shows, Oprah and so forth. And so 
it, it's 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 a much faster build than it was in my day. But you still, I would say this: getting to the level of where I am is not a sprint; it's a it's a marathon, or yes. maybe it's a triathlon. You know, it's what you do over time, daily, daily, daily. So I would say consistent persistence, every day doing a little bit. You know, when I started Chicken Soup for the Soul, we went to this psychic and we said, uh, we want to have this be a best-selling book. Well, what advice would you give us? He said, imagine you would go to a tree with an axe and the sharpest axe you can find. And every day you'd take five swipes at that tree. But you do it every day without fail. Eventually, the largest tree in the world would have to come down because you did it every day. So find something you can do every day. Can you post to Facebook posts every day? Can you go on Instagram, do an Instagram live every day? Can you post, you know, five social media posts? Can you write one page a day? At the end of the year, you've written 365 page book. You know, the point is, it's that daily discipline of never giving up, of consistently moving forward. And you're going to make mistakes. You know, I, the first seminar I ever did, we sent out, we, we got the brochures printed incorrectly. So when you fed them into the postal machine, they all just crumbled up. Because we had the stamp on the open end as opposed to the closed end. And so we learned never to do that again. We did a guest event two days before Thanksgiving. Nobody came because it was two days before Thanksgiving. We never did that again. So the reality is you're going to make mistakes. Do the best you can. Ask for feedback. Don't defend yourself against it correct as fast as possible, keep on doing what you're doing and do it because you love it. You know, I say to musicians, if you're doing it because you want to be famous, like Bon Jovi or the Beatles, you're doing it for the wrong reason. If you're doing it because you can't not play music because you love to make music, then you're doing it for the right reason. Now, then you can learn to do things that build your career. There are career building tools that you can, you can learn, but do it because you love to make music, not because you want to be famous and make a lot of money. Yes. I love that idea. And I love that concept. I, you, you said that this is a, uh, you said that this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. This is maybe even a triathlon because it has multiple events, multiple things, but it's that consistent work. It's that consistent work. And I want to reiterate one thing as we close here, you said that you gotta, you gotta do it for the right reasons. You gotta do it because you love it. And I think for everyone watching this right now, if you don't love helping people, maybe it's not the right thing for you. But if you love helping people, do it every day. Go help people. Go make a difference. And incredible things happen if you just continue to do the work. Jack, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I love and appreciate you and everything you have done for me and for millions of people around the world. And uh, just thank you. And I truly appreciate you spending this hour with me. Well, my pleasure, Jake. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. I look forward to doing it again sometime. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you got something great out of it. I hope that you enjoyed it. And most importantly, I hope that you found something that you can apply. Success is not given to just the talented or the lucky. Success is given to those who are willing to take action. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody else who would enjoy it. And if you would like all five parts of the number one goal, five part fundamental video series, head over to your number one goal.com. That's all spelled out your number one goal.com. Thanks so much for listening. This is Jake Valentine with mountaintop motivation, and I will see you at the top.